Hi, I'm John Murray, and you're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. Welcome to our NL Full-Time North Preview. If you want to hear the National League South podcast, then make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify and you'll get that uploaded to your device. But now we're going to look at the National League North. And as always, we have our National League North expert with us. It is Dickie Wharton. Hiya, Dickie. Hi, Luke. Good to speak to you again after a little break. Yeah, definitely. The book's writer himself. And... uh, We've also got a very knowledgeable man with us on the National League North. Is Yorkshire-based non-league journalist Tom Fearney. Hi, Tom. Hello, mate. What an introduction. I'm flattered. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the Prince of Yorkshire when it comes to writing. And <laughs> what, what Tom doesn't know about Yorkshire football isn't worth knowing. And, and the National League in general. And uh, just before we, uh, we get on to look at the teams, obviously there was an announcement over the weekend from Oliver Dowden about the uh, government and Premier League helping out the lower league clubs. Now, the EFL were quoted, the National League not so. So it's still a bit up in the air as to what the National League clubs will do. It's either a case of they get the funding and they can start behind the closed doors or you, you give them a cap like they have done lower down the leagues. Yeah, it's, it's, a, I mean, it's a challenging situation that everybody's in. Um, isn't it? And the difficulty is, you know, that we've got within like week, 10 days of the start of the season, we still haven't got any certainty about whether we're going to be able to go ahead again. I mean, the, the timing of the, the government's um, announcement last week about, you know, tied to restrictions and, and um, scaling back on those pilot events and everything for sports probably just couldn't have come at a worse time. But, you know, we have to accept that there's bigger things going on in the world sometimes as as, as important as, as football is to us and it is to a lot of people. It's you know, not the only thing that's going on in the world. Yeah, it's it's a it's such a difficult situation. You know, teams, um, and particularly I think with the complication of that, F, the FA Cup, you know, second qualifying round next week for for National League North clubs coming ahead of the start of the season. You know, if if we we haven't got any certainty about whether the league goes ahead, then what are clubs going to do about those FA Cup ties? Because you know, if if the league can't start. Do they play those FA Cup ties and then potentially put themselves onto the hook for, you know, players' salaries and things like that, that uh, from that game onwards? Because, as, you know, our understanding is that uh, when you play your first competitive game, that's usually when players' contracts tend to kick in and when that's when you, you know, you owe monies to them. So clubs are in a really difficult situation, I'm sure. I mean, the clubs I've been to have, have done an awful lot of work to, to try and make themselves COVID secure. So, you know, they're ready for fans if the fans can be allowed in. But it's this um, impasse sort of intransigence from from government and, and, and the higher football authorities. It's, it's holding us back, really. I mean, surely, Tom, I mean, at step three, we've seen it work quite well. There's a cap of 600, surely. I know a lot of clubs in the National League North and South get bigger crowds than that. But you could, you could say do the same thing cap it at 600 some of these grounds certainly have enough space don't they yeah definitely and I think the amount of work that's been done by clubs already you know to make them Covid secure is is pretty clear I think the, the issue you've got here is obviously it's kind of a one size fits all approach in this elite status with the National League North right up to the Premier League but in terms of you know questions regarding dropping the elite status is if if this became non-elite, there are certain precautions that go with it. And 
keeping that elite status for National League North clubs and you know National League clubs in general, it, it offers the security that if in two, three weeks' time, let's say, basically football is suspended, that they are given, in terms of fans being allowed in, they are given that assurance of some finance coming in. But I think Oliver Dowden, kind of his comments have caused a little bit of concern because he had every opportunity to mention the National League and non-league in general and stuck very firmly with the EFL. Interesting, yeah. So it's a case of, watch this space. Will will the National League... Are the teams who are playing National League North teams get a bye? Will they play? Uh, it, it, it's a case of finding out. I mean, we'll talk about the FA Cup ties later on, but let's assume that the season is starting next weekend. And uh, yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, Dickie's there on the screen. You can't see it because it is a podcast. But there we go. <laughs> but, it doesn't um, work so well um, on audio, that one. No, no. <laughs> no. Um, so, yeah, for the tape, Dickie was uh, having his fingers crossed. Uh, right. Yeah, so in terms of your favourites then uh, for the National League North, uh, who, who would you have up there? I, well, I was going to say, I, I've not actually taken, I've not paid any attention as yet, because I don't know if there is, there will be um, odds offered by bookmakers yet as to who they're making the favourites. But I think um, I'm kind of going based on, you know the business they've done during the close season, really, as to as to who's um, strengthened their squads. And I think I think I wouldn't I wouldn't at all surprise me if Boston United were were top of the bookmakers uh, or or the shortest odds being offered. I think their their recruitment since their playoff defeat is dare I say it they've recruited players of the calibre that I would have expected them to recruit had they actually won the playoff final and, and gone into the National League itself. I think they've strengthened almost to the point of, you know, making themselves competitive for the for the league above. And, you know, they finished third last season and they were, um, you know, a difficult proposition pretty much all season long. And I think they've just added to that. So I think they'd certainly be amongst my contenders. And I think, you know, for me, I would say York City. When When you consider that if the season hadn't ended the way that it did, I do think York City would have ended up gaining promotion automatically with the, the runner form that Kings Lynn were on. But with the way the playoffs finished, there was a lot of disappointment. But for Steve Watson, he's kind of got all the players in that he wanted. You know, there was four players I was told he really wanted to sign. And one was Michael Woods, they've got him. There was Tinkler, they've got him. Duckworth was another one, they've got him. And then Matty Brown, who kind of leaves Halifax Town a, cl- a club legend. He, he's left because he couldn't commit to extra sessions. But they, they basically signed players to me that if they had gained promotion, a lot like Boston, where you know they wouldn't look out of place in the National League. Mm. It concerned me a little bit about York um, when when they did lose in the, the playoff semi-finals. That, that with that knowledge, I think, of only having about a handful of contracted players. Um if the league had been starting in September, as as we'd originally been thought, I mean, uh, they were going to have something only about five or six weeks to pretty much recruit an entirely new squad. But um, as I say, he's he's had a little bit longer. And as you say, Tom, if, he, if he's managed to pick up exactly the people that he was after and, and those targets and that, that, that bodes well. And I know they had a very good victory in uh, pre-season friendly against Notts County yesterday. Very impressive 3-0 win at Meadow Lane. So um, that, that bodes well for them. Yeah, most certainly does. And I think in, in terms of, you know, for pre-season results, 
I, I don't think you can get particularly too caught up in the results, but in terms of a performance against one of the favourites for the division above, you know, and so near to the start of the season, it really was basically the perfect performance by Steve Watson's side. And again, you know, in a couple of weeks' time, if they've lost to Warrington Rylands and have lost a couple of games, people will forget that. But it certainly shows that momentum that they could have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I saw Notts County, you know, a week or so ago, they played they played Telford in a pre-season friendly. And I don't think it would be, uh, it, it's not unfair to say that, you know, Notts County were pretty dominant in that game, to be honest. So that was really eye-catching win for York yesterday on that basis, you know, having seen what I'd seen the week before to to, to keep a clean sheet against Notts County and score three of your own is, is no small feat, I would suggest. And of course, Notts County, have, have, they have started competitively because they had their FA Trophy game last week. Your playoff, your playoff hopefuls then, do you think it's going to be more or less the same teams who were winning around there? I mean, personally, I think Telford have recruited well. Dickie Telford could be my dark, dark, dark horse. I can't even say it. Dark horse <laughs> For playoffs yeah. this year, with, with the experience he brought in, um, I'd maybe chuck them in as the wild card. But then you've obviously got your teams like your Brackleys in there who were, who were ever present in the playoffs. I think what you tend to see in in National League North is you, you do have a group of teams that tend to be always there or thereabouts, and they're the teams that are, are largely stable that don't have big clear outs of players at the end of each season and and have to you know go out and recruit an entirely new squad again over the course of the summer so yes if we're talking about playoff contenders I'm, I'm sure the likes of of Brackley will will be in there you know they they I mean they've I, I hesitate to call uh, uh, to say about Brackley in, in a sense because you know three playoff failures three years in a row you know is 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 it's starting to that there's a bit of a reputation perhaps being built there by Brackley as sort of like being never quite good enough to get over that final hurdle. Um, I'm sure if anybody from Brackley hears me say that, they'll probably be pinning it onto the dressing room wall as motivation. But, but you know, that, that, that's been, um, you know, their fate over the last three seasons. I think one team that stands out for me, again, based on the summer recruitment, is Spennymore. I think Spennymore have, have recruited very, very well. I think in in a, in a sense, not being involved in the playoffs allowed Jason Ainsley to sort of get the jump on on some of his rivals and, and get in there. And you know they signed Stephen Thompson from Darlington, um, which I know is a, a transfer which caused some consternation in the northeast because there's a big rivalry between Spennymore and Darlington. Um, I think bringing in the likes of Frank Mulhern um, to almost be a second striker behind. You know, a 20 goals a season man in, in Glenn Taylor just gives them even more firepower. I think Adriana Moke in midfield is is another, you know, player who's been there. He's he's done it at this level. And I, and I think Spenny Moore's recruitment looks exceptionally good. I mean, I, I, I almost would be tempted to suggest that if anybody's going to run, if, if it is going to be Boston at the top of the table, if anybody's going to run them close, it could be Spenny Moore. Interesting. It's interesting because I would say, for, for me, if I was going to say a top three, I would say it'll be York City top, Spennymore second and Boston third, based on kind of the recruitment, but also the feeling within the clubs. When, when you look at where they are, they, to me, are the three that, if, if you were going to separate the tables out, I'd say they're the three that are just a little bit ahead of everyone else. 
Yeah, I mean, Spennymoor, obviously, uh, they're a very go-ahead club. You know, they've got investment. They've got, you know, developments going on off the field as well to sort of, um, uh, you know, generate more income and more interest um, in in the Spennymore area. And that's not to say they don't get a lot of interest because, you know, they do. I think the people in, in Spennymore are exceptionally proud of their football team. Boston, of course, are moving to a new stadium, although they're not going to be moving there immediately. They're going to be playing their initial games at Gateshead. So there's that real feel-good factor about Boston as well. Um, one team we haven't mentioned and, and, and whether, you know, I, you would consider them in this bracket because they're moving to a new stadium as well as Gloucester City. They've invested very heavily. Um, I think they'd already sort of started signing players before, you know, the, the, the season was out and the likes of Liam Daly coming in and, and they've signed more players over the summer. Aquasi Asante, I think, moving there from Chester was a real jaw-dropping move I think particularly with with the the prospect of the playoffs still there but but he chose to move to have the certainty of I think it's a two-year deal that Gloucester have offered them and and you know moving back to a stadium in the city of Gloucester rather than this nomadic existence they've had for the last 10 years they're clearly hoping to sort of you know get a real positivity and a real buzz about things if they can start off with a few good results and 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 draw the crowds in they're obviously hoping to get on a bit of a roll there as well so I would think that they they themselves would like to be perhaps considered in that bracket it's going to be interesting to see because you know it's my feeling always is is with you know teams who've had to do a lot of recruitment um is is how well are they going to settle I think, you know, when you're talking about Asante, that was the signing to me where Gloucester went from probably a higher-end mid-table team to one where you're going, right, they're going for it. They are really pushing it. And, you know, they signed Alex Whittle, who really impressed me at Boston United last season. And, again, it's it's that thing of, you know, it's very difficult to predict just how how teams start. But I think a good start for Gloucester in that environment and all of a sudden, you know, and, and with the thing that they've got the finance to be able to bring more in potentially, you know, they, they could really become a playoff contender very quickly. You know, look, but the reality is, you know, last season when it all got underway, who would have said Kingsley Town would have gone up as champions, really? So it does show you how difficult it is to predict. And before the podcast started, I caught up with the Gloucester City manager, James Rowe, to get his thoughts. So, James, you came in midway last season and it was a bit of an up and down start, wasn't it? But you, you, looked as though, you, you look as though you've made some solid foundations there now. Well, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a lot of change. Uh, it's been a lot of change management going on. That was the, the challenge. Obviously, I signed three and a half years with a view. Obviously, we knew that we were coming back to home to Meadow Park in the, uh, this summer, but no one obviously um, planned for COVID. So, the challenges have probably been double-fold, really, than what we expected. But we're home. Um, it looks like, obviously, the season's going ahead, which is great for everybody. Not just me, but everybody in, involved in the National League pyramid. And we're just really pleased to be home. Uh, Results-wise, obviously, I've changed 19 players. so um, And we were part-time when I took over. So, as I said, there's been a lot of change management, a lot of transition. Um, but we've done a lot of good business on the pitch and, and off the pitch that... The club's in a strong position considering those challenges of COVID. You're assistant manager for a few years and now you're obviously a manager in your own right. Do you feel this is the right step for you now? Obviously, you've taken a step down 
from the National League to the National League North. But is this a good step for you now? Yeah, it was. I think it was just a natural progression for me, Luke. Um, I had three very or two and a half very good years at Aldershot. Um, learned a lot of uh, Gary Wallet, the manager there, and we were very successful. Obviously, two playoff campaigns. Um, so I took that with me along with my the coaching before over a decade, and it was a natural progression. I, I spoke to Gloucester obviously when I was the assistant at Aldershot, and it wasn't quite the right time. Um, but it seemed the right time in December to take it last year, and um, yeah, this is obviously in my in my sight that we were transitioning full time and we were going to to Meadow Park in the heart of the city. So it's really exciting for everyone. Um, as I said, it's been the challenges have been massive considering what's happened with with COVID and off the field. But we've uh, we've can, uh, continued to plow on, and and we're really looking forward and really excited to Saturday. Now, obviously, we've got a. A, uh, a side called Christchurch we're playing in Dorset in the FA Cup which will be a tasty tie they've done really well to get to the stage so uh, we're looking uh, uh, we're looking ready and re- raring to go for that one And all being well your first game will be this coming Saturday in the FA Cup do you worry at all that there'll be uh, maybe a bit undercut because you're playing a side who've been back nearly a month now Well we've tried we've tried to play um, teams at our level um, so we've had quite a hard few fixtures now the last three weeks to try and get the players a bit more up to speed because with that in the back of our mind you're quite right Luke that it's you know speaking to managers at this level we are a bit concerned you're going straight in with a a team that have been back since September the 5th or September the 12th that was the that was the danger of the of the draw but you know it's um it could be a little bit of a leveler but as I say we're prepared we're ready and we're fully fit and raring to go. Now we know Gloucester over the last few seasons they've maybe been punching low down the table, trying to keep afloat every season, stay up. They've managed to do that. They've had a small old fan base that's followed them around wherever they've been, whether they've been playing in Evesham or Sirencester and also away from home. But now it must feel good to come home and, and they're ready to challenge at the top of the table now. Yeah, like in any successful club, um, National League and above, uh, you need to, your ambitions and your principles off the field need to match on the field it's just sometimes when they're mismatched it doesn't work for either either side so off the field obviously the club coming back to a brand new stadium 3.2 million stadium um is is shows a lot of ambition and with that you need to make sure the that on the field you match that ambition so there's a connection there and you can connect to the fan base um in regards to the small fan base i'd say that you know, before they left Meadow Park because of the floods, um, they were actually getting quite very good crowds, Gloucester. And um, they've lost a generation now. So it's about bringing those young supporters and those uh, um, old Gloucester fans together and really becoming a force there, which I'm sure we can do because uh, Gloucester's a, a very large city. And you brought in some players that you know well in the likes of, of Matt McClure and, and Bernard Mensah and also Jake Cole. And you've made some good signings on this level as well, who know the level, like a quasi Asante. You must be really pleased with that. They're obviously players that got us a couple of those players, or Cole, Mentor and McClure, were part of the squad that got us into the playoffs in the one above two years on the bounce. So they've got the pedigree, and um, obviously Gavin Gunning, uh, Kevin Dawson, um, recently applied their trade in, the, in League Two. So um, you would hope that there's a good blend there and we're now changing to an academy status as well we're trying to bring the youth through which will take time to implement some building blocks there so as I said everyone's on the same page off the field and on the field we're 
uh, married up in, in what we want to do. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting for everyone and we're just raring to go. We're, we're relieved we're, we're hopefully going to go ahead because there was a bit of a scare last week. And then the National League North season starts the following midweek after the FA Cup. Do you feel that it should start without the fans behind? Do you think it should start behind closed doors and with a bit of financial support? Or do you think the elite status should be maybe removed and then you can have a small percentage of fans in there? Uh, for, for me, it's I think this at the highest level, and this is just my opinion on it, is I think this period has shown that it's a game for the fans. I think without the fans, it can be lost a little bit. So the quicker we get the fans back in, the better for everyone safely. Um, obviously, the pilot ones that went ahead last week proved that a thousand fans is doable. Um, and we've all put obviously our, our safety uh, procedures in place ready for a thousand fans. So the quicker we can get to that safely, the better for everyone and better for the game from the highest level down to, to our pyramid for sure. Thanks, James, and best of luck. Thanks, Luke. All the best. I mean, that's one factor we haven't got to consider this year is is how will you know any teams promoted into the National League North, will they be able to carry over that positivity? Because, of course, we clearly haven't got that scenario with the decision to null and void at the steps below. So, um, you know, that that I foresee the National League North probably being as, as competitive as it, as it has ever been, if not more so. Um, you mentioned that the, the transfer of... Um, or Aquasi Sante leaving Chester there. That was a real blow for them. I think that harms Chester's prospects of uh, being a playoff side. I think they got in in sixth place last season. Um, they've not been especially busy on the recruitment front, I don't think, although they they brought in, I think they've, um, George Glendon, I think, was was just on on loan or, or just a deal to the end of last season, and he's extended. Um but they've not been too busy. They've actually been quite quiet. So, you know, that'd be interesting to see how they go. But, but you know, losing one of the division's top scorers is is, is never going to be, um, it's always going to be a blow. And, and I think probably they're relying on maybe the likes of Danny Elliott getting the chance and stepping up. He did very well when he went to Alfreton last season. I think he got about five goals, six goals in a month on loan. Um, and now he's got his chance to prove it at Chester. And I think, you know, with Chester, the, the team spirit that they have, when you consider, and to me, I would say Chester will make the playoffs because I, although they've lost to Sante, the team spirit that they showed in players basically agreeing to play the playoffs for free and the, the, the amount of players that they've been able to keep, to, to me, Joel Taylor, if they can keep him for the season, I know Harrogate Town came in and thought they thought they were going to sign him and in the end it, kind of didn't happen. But if they can keep players like that, and, you know, like you were saying, an, an opportunity has been given maybe to likes of Elliot working with Dudley, that could be quite a good partnership, I think. So it's, it's again, you know, kind of repeating what you said there, but when I've looked at the table, there's only two or three teams where I'm thinking, I don't think they've got a chance of getting in the playoffs. I think the rest, you'd say, that, you know, they've certainly got, players that can make an impact to maybe do something and get in them playoff places. In terms of then a wild, you've got like wild cards jumping in there, haven't you? I mean, could you see someone like Farsley? They've kept a pretty settled squad this year, haven't they? And uh, could they maybe sort of punch their way into the promotion picture this year? Well, I think both both Farsley and, and it'll probably please Tom for me to say this, but Geisley as well, you know, were both on the fringes of it all last season. And, you know, 
just into the playoff places and then back out again and, and then we're just not there at the right point of the season when when you know a line got drawn underneath things but you know Marcus Bignett's done um, a, a great job in in making Geisley very competitive again in that division um, after you know first season coming down from um, you know the league above I think they were the draw specialists the season before but yeah he's, he's uh, and particularly with some younger players I think Possibly a loss for Geisley. I think Jamie Spencer is him going to Spennymore, which is another another player that Spennymore have recruited, which which you know adds to their strength. But yeah, I I, I can see both of those teams um, being in there and, and contending again. Yeah, I, com- I I completely agree with the Geisley summary. But I mean, you know, for Geisley, obviously losing Aaron Martin the way they did just before lockdown. I mean. That finance was really important for Geisley in the end, but I think the main player for me in terms of who Geisley have lost is Reese McNally, who has gone to Solihull Moors, and he he to me was by far the most consistent player for Geisley. He was always a seven or an eight out of ten, and a real find by Geisley from Marcus Bignot's academy. And I think that's the thing with Marcus Bignot, and it's happened with a couple of trialists coming in his. In this Solihull Academy, he's able to bring in some really talented players, and there's a, a couple more that I think they'll be trialists not, not much longer. They'll they'll be signing the contracts, and that's something in t- in terms of the dressing room with guys. The, the work Russo Neil and Marcus Bignett have done is these players love playing for guys. And one player I think will be a standout in the north will be Kane Felix, who. Kind of, he's been here, there and everywhere in the Midlands. He's been a winger and over the last year and a bit, he's been transformed into a striker by O'Neill and Bignot. And I'll say this now, his form just before the season was curtailed and in the pre-seasons, he looks really ready to go. And I, I think he'll, he'll surprise a few people. And before the podcast started, Chris Pratt caught up with the Farsley Celtic manager, Adam Leyland, who was stuck in traffic and was more than happy to chat to us. How are you doing this season? I know that you've uh, you had the game on, on Saturday. Unfortunately, it was a, it was a defeat against uh, Bradford Park Avenue. But apart from that, are things coming on well for the new season? Yeah, um, probably you know, as, as well as can be expected, I suppose, under all the um, you know, uncertainty that's going on. Um, I think only time will tell for for all all of those clubs in the national uh, league and the north and the south as to kind of who's got the preparations right, you know, in, in pre-season. Because I think speaking to a lot of different managers, different clubs have have kind of approached it in different ways, starting at different times, playing different volumes of, of friendlies, and you know, some some training fully, some training partially. So. You know, ultimately, only time will tell us how good our preparations have been. But it's, it's been incredibly challenging for you know for everybody, you know, players, staff, you know, the clubs, uh, the supporters who obviously are not able to get in and, and watch you know any games unless you're playing away against lower league opposition. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and and in terms of like our performances in pre-season, I've been reasonably pleased with a lot of what I've seen. Um, with the exception of about 15-20 minutes on Saturday where we just lost the plot a little bit but um, you know that's what pre-season's there for it's, it's there to experiment and to give people opportunities and to, to try different combinations and 
know, to, to make mistakes, learn and, and put them right before the competitive games start. Now, casting your mind back to, to last season, because, uh, well, it wasn't this time last season, was it? Pre-season was a, was a couple of months earlier, but um, you couldn't have, well, you might tell me I'm wrong, but you couldn't have dreamed of a, a top-half finish then, could you? You know, I mean, we're, we're always we're always you know optimistic about you know the qualities that we've got within the, the group and within the team. Um, you know, we're, we're obviously one of the smaller clubs in the division, but we've got you know a great spirit and we've got a good mixture of, of experienced players and, and of young players. And you know, we always you know think that we we can be competitive in games regardless of, of who it is we play. So you know, we we always. You know, kind of hoped for a top half finish um, and to to be, you know, within a, a position with, with, with maybe half a dozen games to go where we might have half a chance of, of sneaking into that like that final playoff spot. And I think, you know, when it all came to a halt, we, we were we were pretty much bang on, on track for that. You know, we we've been in the playoffs for the majority of the season up until about the turn of the year and injuries and a good run in the FA Trophy just caught up with us a little bit and you know we kind of tailed off a little bit had a, had a bad run of form in, in the end of January and February and you know then had a couple of good results just before we, we finished and you know in the end I think we would have snapped your hand off to, to never be anywhere near danger as a newly promoted club it's an incredibly difficult division to, to stay in um, you know and, and I think having had lots of time to, to reflect on how we did I, I think we, we have to be pleased with with our first um, you know season in this league yeah no definitely and um, like you say you were only four points off when they worked out all the, the calculations off, off one of those playoff places I see you've added um, you've added some players over the summer, uh, including Stephen Drench, uh, goalkeeper. You've got Joe West, um, who I think is someone that I saw playing for Sheffield Wednesday under 23s. Um, can you tell us a bit more about the signings you've made? Yeah, well, you know, like every club, you know, it's, you, you want to try and improve season by season, but you know, it's been incredibly difficult this summer because we obviously the financial implications and budget cuts and uncertainty um, you know for, for, for clubs in terms of revenue it's, it's been very difficult so you know we've, we we've, we did you know feel that we needed to improve we we let four players go in the summer um, and you know we, we've recruited in, in the areas where we felt we really needed to add you know a little bit of, of extra quality and balance to the squad so obviously we spoke about drenching um, who, who's a goalkeeper I've known and, and I've made for quite some time now he's, he's, his track record particularly in this division speaks for itself and he you know he brings us like that consistency and uh, that reliability between the posts that we've we've probably not had for certainly all last season um, and, I'm, and I'm sure they'll be a, a really um, you know good addition for us Joe um, is, is a young young lad good prospect who who you obviously mentioned, he, he joined us from Sheffield Wednesday where he, he played quite regularly there on the 23s. He was in on trial uh, with a couple of other left-backs and he, we felt he just came out on top um, against the, the other options that we had. And He's, he's, he's got a good left foot on him, he's, he's you know willing to listen, willing to learn, he's, he's very fit up and down. 
uh, he enjoys defending so we, we feel that you know, he's, he's not the finished article uh, which is usually the case with a lot of young players but he's somebody that we feel can be a good addition for us and, and we can we can help him you know, kick on and improve uh, further uh, we've obviously brought in Joel Byron who's you know, a class act really he's got a lot of experience he's played non-league years ago at Cliverall and, and Northwich which got him his move to Stevenage and he's, he's gone on to play for the likes of Mansfield and, and Northampton and you know, he's had a lot of success in his career and I'm, I'm sure he'll be a, a really strong addition for us as well and we took Jake Charles um, from, from Stafford who's you know, he's a Garford lad, so he, he's quite local for him, but he's, again, he's, he's hungry and he, he wants to, you know, impress at this level and be given that opportunity. He's, he's full of running, he's, he's got good pace, good movement, and, you know, he, he scored quite a lot of goals in, in what was a, a Stafford team that struggled over the last couple of seasons in the league below. So, you know, I'm, I'm pleased with the... Um, the, the, the recruitment that we've we've had and, and the squad we've put together, I, I certainly feel it's the strongest squad and the most balanced squad that we've had in my time at the club. Um, we've obviously lost, you know, Jack Higgins, which which was a big blow to us. He's such a character and a leader on and off the pitch. Um, but we, we, you know, we brought in Tom Allen, who, who we had on board a couple of times from York last season to to kind of fill that void and um, I'm, I'm sure that he'll be you know, a good addition for us as well. And now lastly for, for me Adam, I mean it seems we're in a crazy situation again, it's been a crazy year, we don't really know whether um, how long it's going to be till fans going, we don't know whether we're going to be kicking off, um, we don't really, everything's up in the air a minute, but if you had a message for Farsley fans on that and on um, sort of prospects for the season, what, what would you want to say to them? I hope that they're all, you know, fit and well and healthy because that's that's the most important thing, um, you know, for for anybody at the moment. There's, there's such a lot of uncertainty around, and obviously restrictions are being implemented all around the com- country. So it's it's a very uh, testing time for everybody, and um, of course, you know, we, we all want to play football in front of as many supporters as we possibly can, and you know, going into grounds where there's no one it's, it's different and it's, and it's difficult and, and it's a challenge um, but that's the same for, for every single club you know our league so it's not, not something that you know we will be using as, as an excuse um, but it's, it's our responsibility you know that whenever, whenever we do start that we're ready to go and, and you know we've got to we've got to meet those challenges head on and, and just get on with it really um, you know hopefully we can we can return to playing as soon as possible because, you know, every, like every other manager and coach and, and player in football, the threat friendlies are the, the rubbish. You know, you, you, we play the game because we want to. We want to win and we want to be, you know, competing for, for points every week. Or we want to be competing for for uh, for cup. You know. But, competitions every week that's, that's what we're in the game for and you know the sooner that the uh, the friendlies are out of the way and pre-season's gone and the com- competitive game start the better for me and it's something that we're all as a group um, really looking forward to, to returning to Well Adam Lakeland on that thank you very much for your time I was going to come back to the two um, the North East teams because as Gates said and I think Darlington. I think Darlington's recruitment's been good. So I'm did just going to come in on those. Did you say anything on Farsley? Or do you want to? Or 
uh, we didn't say anything in depth. Tom will know what's who, the ins and outs of Farsley better than I am, I'm sure, because it's only a few miles down the road. So We played them in a pre-season friendly a couple of weeks ago and their squad looked pretty similar to what they had last year, I think, more or less. It is pretty similar. I don't think they've yeah. been a lot in and out. Uh, okay, so I'll just leave a... Yeah. So in terms of Farsley then, obviously we mentioned there along with guys, what are your thoughts, especially Tom, on this? Well, I think the big, the big thing was the goalkeeping situation for them and kind of last season they had a goalkeeper in on loan and this season they've been able to get Stephen Drenching who, you know, a really impressive signing for me because kind of he's been there and done it. He's done it at the National League level. He's gone down to the north and he, leaving Altringham, he wants to be first-choice goalkeeper somewhere and I, that's what Farsley Celtic have been able to offer him and I think... You know, it's kind of like they've been able to keep a majority of the squad. They lost to Keel Francis, who's gone up to Scotland. He's joined Falkirk. And they've been able to replace him with Jake Charles coming in, who, you know, was really highly rated a few years ago at Huddersfield Town. And in that, that youth setup, he's kind of been at the Northern Premier League level. He was at Stafford last season, Stafford Rangers. So he, he's kind of one of those that, you know, I think Adam Lakeland will have seen him play a few times and will like what he's seen from him. So, again, you know, if the season had gone on a bit further, would Farsley have been able to get there? Who, you know, who knows? But they've been able to keep a majority of their squad. You know, the experienced heads of the likes of Danny Ellis as well. So, for me, you know, they're, they're another team where, yeah, I would not be that surprised to see them in and around them playoff places by the end of it. I know another team that, that were fancying their chances of a, of a run at the playoffs um, at the point that, that Telford played them, which was only about a week before lockdown began, was Darlington. And I think Darlington have, have, have strengthened well over the, the summer as well. I think probably the standout for them for them is Dan Maguire um, going back to the northeast, having having left York City. I think Dan Maguire, alongside Adam Campbell, I know they were very pleased to have retained Adam Campbell's services for next season. Um, gives them a lot more firepower, I would say. And they, they've added some experience as well. Um, uh, Nicky Hunt, former Bolton Wanderers player, is, has joined them, as is Tony McMahon. I think he was a, a former Middlesbrough player. So they've added some more experience at the back. Um, and, and I can see Darlington being, um, uh, you know, another team that will fancy their chances of getting in there. They've got that strange situation as well of them actually going back and playing in the Darlington Arena, their former home. Um, because it allows them to have a bigger crowds in the, than they would to have at Blackwell Meadow, Meadows with the uh, with the COVID restrictions. And I think with Dan Maguire, he I think he he's the kind of signing where you know at York City for for whatever reason it just never worked out. But he is now going back to the manager who knows exactly how to get the best out of him in Alan Armstrong and. You know, I think a lot of York City fans were saying he's he'll score twenty five goals for Darlington this season. I, I I think he will. I think he him and Armstrong as a as a partnership, him and Campbell as a partnership, I should say, with Armstrong knowing exactly how to utilise the two of them, that to me could be that could be the partnership by the end of it where we look back and think, Wow, you know, they really were impressive. Yeah, I mean as soon as I saw that Dan Maguire was being um, released by York City, it it 
it seemed a no-brainer to, to join up with his old manager, Alan Armstrong at Darlington. And that's exactly what happened. I think it was done within a couple of days. So, yeah, I, I think they'll go well. I think another northeast side that, you know, they were a playoff side last season. As Gates said, we've not mentioned them so far, but I think they've retained, you know, pretty much the entire squad that they had last season. I'm not aware of many ins and outs there. And I don't know whether they're keeping their full-time status, but, but if they do, you could imagine that's going to count in their favour as well. So it's very hard, you know, we said right at the very beginning, but, you know, we've probably got a group of about two or three teams where we would say, yes, we think they're title contenders. And then outside of that, you can make a case for so many teams being a playoff side this year. And I think for Gates, it's kind of that thing again of a team that, you know, good run of form, a team with a, a manager who's, I think by his own admission, Mike Williamson would say that he's still learning on the job, really. But again, they've been able to keep so many of them players. And it's that thing that very much like Chester, where that, that feel-good factor in terms of in that dressing room. And to me, I would have Gateshead as one of the teams that will reach the playoffs because I think they've been able to keep such a core of it while also being able to add, you know, the likes of Langstaff, coming in from York City. I like the look of him. And it's that thing of, again, you know, you could say it for about 20 of the teams that they'll be in the top seven places, but I do think Gates that have just got enough to be able to get there. Yeah, I think it's, it, I mean, it's all make, it's all going to make the National League. We, we just have to keep our fingers crossed and hope that things do get started because it really could be a, a league to watch next season. So competitive. Um, I know you tried to draw me out a little bit before we started recording on, on my own team, Telford, and we've not mentioned them, but, you know, yeah, they've recruited over the summer as well. Um, Gavin Cowan's added some more experience. Lee Vaughan's come back to the club after probably a gap of about 10 years. Um, uh, to play in the defence. Courtney Mepp and Walter arrived from Chorley. Um, they've added Jason Oswell up front, who, who's come from from Wrexham. Um, and addition in midfield as well. I think one player at Telford that the fans will really take to is is James Hardy. I think him, having had a year in the, the, the EFL with Walsall, but then being released, I think that was a real capture for Telford. I think he'll 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 go well. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to make too many predictions for them because I put them as playoff winners last year so I'm not going to damn them by by saying where they're going to finish this year but uh, yeah the recruitment looks good. We saw him play for England C uh, the year before he went to Walsall and he was unbelievable I mean that's a great capture for, for Telford for some reason it's just not it didn't really work out at Fylde and it but he, he obviously saw something in that he went to Walsall and then it didn't work out for him at Walsall so it'd be interesting to see how he goes at Telford. You mentioned Fylde there uh, Luke and obviously they're a, a team that we haven't discussed yet, the same as we haven't with Chorley, the two teams that were, were relegated to the National League or relegated from the National League last, last season. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how those two go because I think there's been a big turnover of players and there's been a number of players left filed in the wake of their relegation. Um, and the same with Chorley. I think they uh, Jamie Vermiglio's uh, had a, a huge overhaul of the squad there. There's been a lot of players move out and and we come back to that thing of how we don't know how they're going to go because they are essentially had to rebuild two squads over the summer. So um, how, how they'll perform, we don't know, but you know, you would think that though both of those sides would again fancy their chances of certainly being top half sides. And if you're in the top half, 
you know, you're only talking about needing to finish seventh to be in a playoff place, aren't you? And I think, the, you know, for Fard, obviously, Jim Bentley and his, you know, his health problems, which fortunately, you know, you know, he's made a full recovery from it. But it has been for Fard just, you know, their signings, I think, have been impressive. But the players they've lost as well, you know, have been significant. And I do, I do think that Fard will make the playoffs. I think I've said that for every team so far, but I do think I do think they will because you know the likes of Kurt Willoughby is an interesting one where he has proven at the National League North level with that loan spell he had at, at York City last season, and obviously the goals he scored for FC United before that that he'll do well. And you know Mondale's an interesting one. I watched him a lot for Whitby Town a couple of years ago, and he he got that move to Forest Green Rovers and then didn't really get a chance. I think, I think he scored a couple of times, but he never really was a starter. He was always someone off the bench. So I think that could be a, a, you know, a decent enough front you know, attacking options. But then I look at the likes of Nathan Pond coming in, you know, such an experienced centre-back and someone who's kind of been there and done it at these levels and Neil in net. And I, th- I do think the spine of Fylde squad is one of the strongest if they can keep them players fit and keep them firing. Yeah, I, I think, well, Foyle were one of the big mysteries of last season. I know we talked about them so often on this podcast of, you know, I think almost to a man, we tipped them to, to, to actually win the National League last season and they ended up being relegated and, and nobody could understand exactly why they were down there. Um, you know, they've got an opportunity for a fresh start now. It's not where they would want to be making that fresh start from. But, you know, if there have been any issues behind the scenes there, you know, if, the, if there's been, you know, difficulties within the dressing room, then perhaps, you know, they've, they've had their opportunity here to, um, you know, make a fresh start and wipe the slate clean and go again. I must admit, um, my team have got fouled in the FA Cup on Saturday and you're scaring me throwing all these names out now. <laughs> <laughs> so th- thanks for that. Um, <laughs> we'll chat about that later on. You, you think that about 15 teams are going to make this playoffs now, Tom, aren't you? Including, <laughs> including the ones who've been relegated. In terms of the playoffs, then, are we going to say it's... Um, we're saying like Spennymore, Darlington, potentially uh, Gateshead, and then sort of three others out of... Sort of Gloucester, Farsley, Telford. It's, um, it's wide open. All the files that we've mentioned. Absolutely yeah. wide open. Yeah. And, you know, and as so often in National League North, you need to get off to a good start. Mm. If, you, if you can get off to a good start and get some momentum, then teams tend to stay at, towards the top of the table all season if they can do that one. But if you, if you, you know, you get a slow start in this division, you can find yourself mired in the bottom half for the rest of the campaign really so that getting off to a uh, getting off to a good start is is so important I think well let's look at the bottom of the table and two teams that were mired down there for most of the season were Bradford Park Avenue and Blythe um can you see any changes for them this year and, and who else may well um I mean there's only one going down I think this year isn't there from the north so can you see who else might challenge maybe one of those two teams I think Bradford Park Avenue will probably go better this season for the fact that Mark Bowers returned as manager um you know they, they were a playoff side under Mark Bauer and I think a lot of that was to do with his recruitment and the fact that he was working with players that he knew very well 
who knew exactly what he would ask of them and vice versa and 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 a really good team spirit you know it was almost the case i think that mark bauer was um able to get players to go to bradford park avenue because of the relationship he had with them you know and and they got some. They were getting some good results towards the end of last season. I mean, they had, they had a stunning one 0 away win at Kingsland Town just before the season ended, that was helping them to sort of edge closer to, to safety. So um, I think they'll go better. I think they've, they've also they're going to be playing on um, a new artificial surface, aren't they, this season? Yeah, they are. And I think when when you look at the work that Mark Bauer's done, you know, at the start of last season, obviously Bradford Park Avenue tried to go down a a different avenue and it was a really weird one where the, the recruitment it seemed to be very misjudged you know they, they had a manager in who didn't particularly have the experience they then went through another management team and then Mark Bauer returns and to me Bradford Park Avenue will be nowhere near the relegation places you know they're, they're getting used to that 3G pitch that's something that is you know some say that that gives the team a, a real advantage and maybe at this case it will but again Mark Bauer's been able to bring in these players that he knows well players that trust him that he trusts and to me that you know last season was a, a bit of a write-off it was an experiment that didn't go well this season they'll be comfortable they they'll be a mid-table team they'll be nowhere near that drop zone and they've got Adam Nowakowski's on a pound a week isn't he so <laughs> big shiny pound in his pocket every week a ceremonial handing over of the pound each week in the clubhouse. Yeah, so yeah, like yeah. that, that's a nice idea. Um, I, yeah, I mean, you, you... that shows that does show, like you say, the spirit that Mark Bowers fostered that he's happy to go there and, and, and do that kind of thing. Yeah, and I think you know, with, with him, it was it was a case that there were teams, there were other options for him, you know, and there were, you know, I spoke to him a couple. Um, well, I spoke to him just after it had all been announced, and it was kind of like. He he saw it as a way of giving back to the club because they've really helped him. They've given him a football club in which he enjoys playing. And again, it's that thing of in the dressing room, I know the work Mark Bauer does with Danny Boschel, they get players in that they know won't be bad eggs. They get players in that will, you know, fit a certain mould and it's a very enjoyable dressing room. And, you know, a player agreeing to, to do that for £1 a week, I think that speaks volumes to just how good the, the spirit is there. So yeah, who, so who else? And I mean, obviously the other team was Blythe, and they've got a new manager in, in Michael Nelson. And it was one of those whenever I saw Blythe, they had Callum Roberts. He kind of just kept them uh, afloat a little bit, and they had Lee Clark, who seemed to be. He seemed to. I know I spoke to someone, and they said he was. Um, he was a bit unfortunate, really, and I think he was just starting to understand the level. And then obviously, they had a heavy defeat, and he got the boot. They've done, they've done well in getting Michael Nelson and he's making all the right noises, isn't he? So do you think they're another team that'll be well away from the relegation zone this year? And, and if that's the case, who will drop in? I have to be honest and say I, my feeling is that Blythe probably are going to be, if not not bottom, but but they're not going to be an awful lot higher than they were last season. I think the um, I think the, some of the budgetary restrictions they've got there is is the difficulty for Blythe um but they've got a lot of positives going on there as well it's it's a really difficult place to go not just the distance but you know the the I always have this feeling that the the fans at Blythe that, that they love a, a bit of almost thrive on a bit of adversity I think and and they get right behind their side when they're going well and that can be a really difficult place for opposition teams to go um 
how Michael Nelson gets them going early on, I think might tell us a lot. I think with all being well, I'll be seeing them on the Saturday of the season, the second Saturday of the season, because Telford are there. So probably have a better guide after then. But um, yeah, I mean, it was immensely difficult season for them last season, I think. And um, you've got to look at that and go, well, you know, they, they've, they have had a reprieve from relegation, but perhaps they need to look at this as the only way is up from here and, and, and just see where it takes them. I mean, I, I found it incredible that they were able to get someone like Callum Roberts in, and I think it shows that there, you know, the talent is there if if you if you're able to scout it and you're able to to get it in. But you know, for me, I I can't see them being too much higher than they were. If I'm being completely honest, you know, I think Liam Agnew is a really good signing. He joins after being released by Harrogate Town, but last season he was in that Gateshead team that you know, got into the playoffs. Someone like Simon Heslop, an, an experienced and a, a bit of a leader, somebody who can certainly, you know, call upon his time at York City. And, you know, I, I think he ended last season at Boston. But, you know, for me, for me, it's kind of a case of where are the goals going to come from? You know, they've got Robbie Dale, this, you know, a club icon for how long he's been there. But I think they do need somebody, you, you know, they need a Callum Roberts. They need another signing like that, someone who can get them. 15, 20 goals, because if not, I, I do think they'll be struggling. So who else, and as I say, because there's only, do you think they'll be the ones to fill that one relegation slot, or is there another candidate um, who will be down there this year? I, I don't see any obvious candidates amongst the teams that we haven't spoken about yet. And in some of those teams we've not spoken about yet, probably wouldn't thank us for talking about them and as as maybe even sort of lower half sides. I mean, you've got the likes of Southport that we haven't mentioned yet. And, you know, they've, uh, their recruitment's not been too bad. They've brought in Mo Ali from Curzon Ashton, Marcus Carver, one of the players to leave Chorley and Matt Challoner as well. So, you know, they, they've strengthened, um, but could I see them being a playoff contender? Um, no, one of the ones I, I wouldn't expect to be in there. I'd see them more as a mid table side. We've got, Kidderminster Harriers under under Russ Penn, who, who obviously is um, a, a friend of the podcast. Did dare we say that one? It'd be interesting to see how they do with him having had the chance to recruit his own players over the summer. Um, you know, and they've done quite well. They brought in uh, Amari Morgan Smith come across from from Alfreton Town, so that's a big plus for them. But a loss for Alfreton at the same time. Um, Difficult to tell with Kidderminster, I would say. I think they're still going to be a full-time side, but I've not seen enough in the recruitment so far to make me think that they're going to be a playoff contender next season. Um, we've got they lost, Ed, they lost Ed Williams as well, didn't they, to Doncaster, which is quite a big blow for him. Yes, he did. I mean, Ed Williams, I think, was a, you know, a, he didn't get an awful lot of game time for them last season, I don't think. Um, but he, you know, he'd certainly been more of one of their more standout players in recent seasons. So that's a loss. But I think it was kind of probably always expected that he was going to be moving on. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't expect them to be in playoff contention. But they, you know, they may prove me wrong. Um, Lemington, Lemington are always a difficult proposition. Um, you know, with Paul Holler in charge, he's he's wily. He knows this level. His recruitment is excellent. He always seems to be able to find a goal scorer from from somewhere. Um, 
but again, you know, if we're talking about a side that you'd expect probably to be in the bottom half of the table, then that, that probably is where I'd imagine Leamington would be. Likewise, Kettering under Paul Cox, I think he's improved them immensely last season to, to get them out of the, the, the trouble they were in when the season started. They were, you know, they had a, a terrible start to the season, but Paul Cox came in and did a tremendous job. And now he's got a chance to stamp a bit of his own mark on it. Again, I'd see them being a, a, a mid to bottom half of the table side, but that's certainly an improvement on where they were. Um, and I think Curzon Ashton's recruitment over the summer appears very good as well. You know, I think they've, they were very, seemed a very young side last year. And I think they've added, um, you know, some, some more experience to their, their ranks this year. I think uh, they've added, I think uh, a couple of players have come from Ultra. I think Craig Marn's gone there and Max Harrop, who were perhaps more on the fringes of Altrincham's promotion winning side, you know, but they, oh, they've so obviously... He's gone as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, you know, they've added some good experience there. So I think anybody who makes the mistake of writing Curzon Ashton off and thinking that Curzon Ashton are going to be a relegation side will, you know, have a surprise if if if, if that's um, the way they go. Is the inexperience of the manager, though, maybe a sort of a question mark? He's jumped up two divisions, of course. He was at Cole, never quite got him over the line in that... Um, in the Northern Premier Division one and into the Northern Premier Division. Is that the only question mark against Curzon you'd have? I think potentially so. You know, you might say that, you know, he, he would perhaps lack experience at this level, but the fact that he has brought in players with experience at this level, I know he's gone back to Col- to Colne for a couple of players um, who, who clearly knows well and, and he feels that they can adapt to the level. But the fact that he's added some experience around them, um, you know, should help him make that transition a little bit more easily I would say I think we've not mentioned well I mentioned Alfreton there in terms of them losing um, Amari Morgan-Smith who's obviously scored goals for them last season I think I might be right in saying is Dan Bradley gone back to Alfreton now after leaving Fylde is that right? Yeah that's right he's gone He's gone back there Tom, Tom's nodding his head again it's a <laughs> podcast we can't see him but he is nodding <laughs> he is nodding um, well, no, so in terms of are you saying that they those teams will be down the bottom but won't be really in any danger? So are you are you both saying that you think it'll be Blythe that'll fill that one relegation spot? Yeah, if I'm if I'm being brutally honest, I I, I am. I think I think in when you when you look, um, and it, and pro, pro, possibly that's because of, of the distance, and you know we it's it's a little bit harder to have your finger on the pulse of what's going on at Blythe because of, of the distance that we are from them. But again, I suppose I look at at the recruitment and, and say from where they were last season, even with the players they've added, I'm not sure that that will um, add enough to their side when you look at what other teams of the division have done. You know, I think there's a few sides there that we've said, we're not expecting them to be playoff contenders, but then I'm not expecting them to be terrible either. You know, I think there's, I think an awful lot of teams in this division are quite capable of holding their own, which is what makes it such a fascinating division. Yeah. And just to add to that, I think, you know, last season when it, when it all started, Bradford Park Avenue and Blythe Spartans were just by far, you could basically everybody was saying that those two are going to struggle because you looked at the recruitment and you just saw too many, too many misses were going to be there. But this season, 
you know, there isn't one team where you'd say their squad is miles off everyone else's. I think, you know, Blythe, I would say, I would, would predict that they, you know, like yourself, will be the team that unfortunately finish off in that bottom place. But again, they've recruited, that, you know, it isn't like all their recruitment's been terrible. I think they have recruited smartly. And again, if they make a good start, you know, who knows what will happen. So I think this is, it just shows you how open this table is, you know, and how every team really will be looking up. Yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of having a look through there. And I think I think there's probably only one team we haven't mentioned so far, and that's um, Hereford. I know they, you know, they, I think they were probably, they were, they were a bottom half team last season, but I think they've added some, you know, intriguing players over the summer. I know Lenel John Lewis, who, who joined them on um, after leaving Shrewsbury last season, has been persuaded to stay on um, with them. And, you know, he's got experience at a much, higher National League level, having scored goals at, at Grimsby. Um, so he adds a little bit more to them. I did see them in pre-season um, and a defeat against Stourbridge. And I wasn't, I didn't see a huge amount from them that evening, but it's fair to say that Josh Gowling was still looking at players at that point in time. So, you know, he may have may have added um, to what he had from, from what I saw back then. Again, Hereford aside, I would probably expect to be um, below halfway in the table, but, you know, still be competitive. Yeah, I think they'll be, they'll be disappointed, won't they, Tom? If they don't push towards the playoffs, Hereford, they have got grand ambitions there, and Edgar Street's a, a, a lovely old ground. And again, are they one of the, the dozens of teams that we can chuck into a playoff spot, or do you think they're maybe just going to fall short of that? I think, I mean, I think for, for Hereford, in terms of recruitment, they're far from finished this season, you know, going into it. And, you know, I think for, for Josh Gowling, it's, it, you know, it's an interesting position to be in because when Hereford came up, there were, you know, massive expectations that they were going to really challenge for the league. Obviously, you know, they, they, their manager, you know, after so many successful years, they decide to make that change and they end up, you know, being here with Josh Gowling and the very experienced Steve Burr and, It'll be just. It'll be very interesting to see how they're able to use that contact book to get those players in. Because in terms of ambition, in terms of infrastructure, I think Hereford have to be aiming, you know, to be one of the top seven sides. In terms of the current squad, although it's not finalised, I don't think they'll be there. But again, there's, you know, the the joy of being in non-league is you've not got that transfer window, and they're able to in a couple of weeks' time, you know, see what options are out there. But I don't think they'll be a playoff team. I don't think they'll be too far down there, but I do think they'll be one of those teams that this season, maybe mid-table safety, they, they take that and then maybe the year after go for it. I think you mentioned in Steve Burr, there's very interesting. I think that was a great move by Josh Gowling um, when he'd you know taken over the role after Mark Richards departed. The clearly... Um, bringing in somebody who um, has been around and knows the kind of level that they're at and has a lot of contacts. And, it, you know, the role reversal is quite intriguing with, with Steve Burr having been Josh Gowling's manager at Kidderminster Harriers a few years ago. And now it's the other way around and, and Steve Burr is his assistant. But I think that was a very, very smart move up by, on, on his part. And, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write them off. Certainly, I think with with the the experience that those two have got, they will make Hereford a more competitive team. It's interesting as well, Tom. You made the point about um, 
recruitment not done for Hereford. I mean, we mentioned it in the Southern podcast as well. There'll be probably a couple of weeks now where the players who maybe expected contracts at EFL clubs aren't going to get them. And you could get some really quality players who suddenly end up at a National League North club who you just want to play games. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's kind of, you, you're now looking at which teams at the National League North have good links with EFL clubs because what you do find is the transfer window closes, EFL clubs make their decisions regarding who's going to play, who's not. And all of a sudden, you've got players that are free agents, but you've also got the loan market that opens. And, you know, you look at Peterborough United saying that they'll, they're going to loan out players for free with no fees attached and they'll pay the wages, which, you know, it's interesting at this level how many clubs, you know, will have that ar- them arrangements with them clubs because, you know, I know, you know, you look at a team like Geisley, just the, the great relationship Geisley have with Sheffield United and how their under-23s becomes an option all of a sudden. So it's just interesting to see who, who is able to utilise those players because, you do find that there are players that are far too good for this level that come on loan for you know a couple of months, build their confidence, build their form a bit, and it's who can utilise that market. I think that's a really important um, point. It does appear or does feel to me that a number of clubs um, are operating with slightly smaller playing squads this year obviously that some of the uncertainty around the, the finances and and perhaps will be looking to utilize that loan market when um when they're able to yeah absolutely and, i mean good gesture by peterborough united and they're probably one of the, the better clubs that you want to get players off because of their record of recruiting non-league players as well so um we'll, we'll watch this space and um, just before we wrap up obviously the fa cup is coming up this weekend the North, national league north clubs come into it and I know we were chatting before, Tom, before we came on came on air and started recording the podcast. There's some cracking standout ties, isn't there, that's, that's coming up this weekend, all being well. Yeah, definitely, you know, and I think we've, you know, we've kind of not been predicting Blythe Spartans to have a great future in the National League North, but I'd be, I'd be very surprised if their game isn't at least being considered to be the televised match, you know, um, a you know, fantastic local match against Whitley Bay away from home, and kind of just looking at it, you know what you you know what you said before we started recording. You don't really want to be facing a team in your league because no doubt you face them two or three weeks after, and it's kind of a bit of a non-event. But there's some really interesting games. You know, mention your team, Hyde United against AFC Five. That's another one which I, I look at and I think, you know, it, could there be an upset there? Will you never know because what you find is these teams, you know, from step three and below have started their competitive season. Yeah. If, and I think that's, you why know, it's so, that's why it's so more, it's why it's so intriguing, isn't it? Because the teams lower down have got competitive minutes under the belts, whereas the National League North, despite you've got your pre-season games, are going in cold, aren't they? Yeah. And, you know, another game that I look at where you just never know, York City away at Warrington Rylands and I watched their game it was it was being streamed and they uh, beat Whitby Town it was kind of a really good performance by Warrington Rylands I was actually really impressed with how they played and you know for them they'll be so up for that game because I'd argue you'd say York City are the plum tie in the National League North to be facing so it's another one where you know there is that potential there always is a, a big upset and 
whether that could be one of them, we'll wait and see. I know the finances, you know, we we don't like to talk about the finances related to the FA Cup too much and um you know, but but this season with the way things are, I think you know any opportunity to for clubs to get any additional funds that they can, you know, that they'll they'll want to take. So I don't think you know sides will be taking FA Cup ties lightly because I think that the, the financial rewards that are on offer um, have just taken on an even bigger significance with in the current situation. Yeah, it's interesting because you're saying about obviously if clubs do play on the weekend in the FA Cup ties, it will sort of trigger contracts and stuff. But then on the flip side, if they win a couple of games, it kind of, it gives them a bit of grace. You know, they've suddenly got like six, seven thousand pounds in the bank, haven't they? Yeah, they have. And I mean, there's nothing like the regret, you know, of seeing the team that you beat two rounds on, you know, in the, in the, uh, the first round being the televised tie and, uh, being on national television and that feeling of that could have been us and um, you know when you know how much money that that can generate I mean Geisley I think for reaching the second round a couple of years ago and a, a televised toy I think that that helped their finances immensely if I'm, I'm right in saying so Tom. Yeah well in, in the end it was just over £200,000 if you include the prize money and the TV money which you know I don't think there'll be many teams who were, would be turning that down this season. No, I mean that that's a hefty chunk of of a team's turnover at this level, isn't it? You know, and you you've got to, uh, you know, be mindful of that and sort of have your eyes on that prize. Really, it, I know it's quite, I know it's difficult um, th- this early in the season, um, but yeah, that that that's ultimately what could await you. And 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 I think if managers aren't taking this competition seriously, I certainly think their their boards of directors will be asking them why. Interestingly, a lot of the National League North teams are away, aren't they, as well, which makes it even even tougher. I mean, I was looking, Hereford, they're away, they're at Gosport Borough, uh, Alfreton, they're away at Colville, Telford, they're away at Chase Town, who had a really good win in the last round as well. So, <laughs> in a way, you probably want a team from your own division where you're kind of both a bit undercooked, but it's... There's going to be some shocks this weekend, isn't there, I think? I think there could be, yeah. With, as you say, with with uh, National League North sides, um, Telford's pre-season um, was handicapped a little by the fact that he was supposed to be playing Macclesfield Town in a friendly yesterday and obviously the situation with Macclesfield and their winding up order meant that didn't happen so Telford potentially facing a gap of you know much longer in between games before the start of the season they would have um, they would have wanted I mean they've, they've managed to add a, a game in, in midweek against Birmingham City under-23s. And I'm absolutely sure that the reason for that is that Gavin Cowan doesn't want to be going into an FA Cup tie the first game of the season, not having played a game for 10 days. Excellent, guys. Well, um, thanks very much for, for previewing the season. Hopefully, we'll all be underway. We'll be able to talk about the FA Cup games and the first league fixtures, first midweek fixtures in our next podcast. So, uh, that is it. Thank you very much for joining us. My thanks to Tom and to Dickie. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify. And we'll see you all very soon and keep safe. Bye.